You know, we have uh, a time in America that we've never experienced, and, and it, it drives us to our knees to ask God to heal our country. And we have an important election coming up, and, and we want the election to go how God sees fit. And we pray for America, we pray for righteousness, for right leaders to rule in our country. And last week, Wayne, um, bless his heart, helped us pass out and talk up uh, about praying for our country. So we have printed up Pray for Our Nation, 30 days of prayer. We'd like for you to join us with this in the month of September. We're on day five. And so I'd like to read day five. And it is this. And, and by the way, you can receive these in the back there um, as you go out. And uh, they're there for your use to help us pray for America each day. And day five is this, pray that God's spirit would empower his church for ministry and enable us to pray for and befriend people who are far from God. Psalm 66, 16 says, come and hear all ye who fear God and I will tell what he has done for my soul. America needs strong churches to stand up for righteousness. There is a moral compass that is shifting, and it is churches such as this that are standing up for what is truthful, what is right, and what makes for a healthy nation. And so we need to pray for strong churches to be stronger, to be bolder for the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's gather in prayer as we pray for America. Heavenly Father, as we come today, and we gather together, gathered together around your throne. Father, we, we need desperately your favor, your grace, your blessings upon America. And God, we ask that you do bless this great country. We ask you bless it with, with strong churches to be a witness, to be... To be uh, elements of change for right living in each community. And if there are communities without a gospel witness, without the presence of the word of God being preached and given out, without a, a witness of that light that comes from you, God, we ask that churches will, will be started in those communities. I pray for churches that are hurt and hindered by what's going on in the pandemic and, and some of these inner, inner churches, that they are, they are at the front line of facing destruction and mayhem who has happened in, in these cities. And God, we ask that you help them to be strong and give them the resources and the wisdom how that they can minister to those that are hurting in their community. And God, would you just, again, use this election to put people that, God, that fear you, that give reverence to your word, and want to lead this country on biblical principles. God, we ask for that. We ask that on a local level, in our county, in our cities, our communities, in our state, and our nation as well. That we have God-fearing people that will commit to be statesmen for the kingdom of heaven. 
We don't need politicians. We need statesmen that will state that which is right and lead us in the right direction. So, Father, help us in this time, in this season of our country. And we'll give you the praise and glory for all that you have done and will do in Christ's name. Amen. If you'll stand to sing our first song, My Lighthouse, that's what the church is. In my wrestling and in my doubts, in my failures you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. You are the peace in my troubled sea.
wonderful that Jesus, the light of the world, will bring us on our journey all the way to heaven. Our next song, this is all that we sing about today, we'll hear about is Jesus, what he's done for us.
love it. This is the hard part. confess that trusting you and obeying you is sometimes a struggle. But we also have experienced the joy of acting upon that. And we do find delight and joy and peace when we obey you. Oh, help us, Father. 
Help us today as we listen to your word to draw more from it that will encourage us this week to trust you and obey you. I pray that the word will go out amongst us and the Holy Spirit will take it to each seat, each heart to do as he pleases. Speak to us, Father. We don't want to leave having wasted an hour of not being changed. We want to be changed. So move in us, Lord. Fill your man with your spirit and give us exactly what we need. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have your Bibles this morning. I want to turn, we're going to turn back into the book of James again. We're going back to the book of James. And so if you got your Bible or a pew Bible, turn into the, go, let's go to the third chapter. We're going to finish up chapter number three as we've been taking a journey through the book of James. If you have uh, sermon notes, this would be a good time. If you don't have sermon notes, Linda will get those to you. But if you want sermon notes, just raise your hand. But uh, those are good to help help stay connected with the message. You know, I like them and, uh, because it just helps me stay focused and so that I don't go off, you know, following uh, my mind and thinking about whatever I shouldn't be thinking about and staying focused. So they, they help me quite a bit, and so I like when I can take uh, notes as well. So I want to read verses uh, 13 to the end of James, and then we're going to go back and uh, look what James is telling us here in James chapter 3. So James chapter 3, we'll start in verse 13. Who is wise and un- understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But, now there are two buts in the scripture. We make note of it because it, changed, it, turned, it takes a, t- a corner, changes uh, direction. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exists... Confusion and every evil thing are there, but, so we're changing in a corner again, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Father, again, we ask your blessings upon your word Open our hearts and understanding. Um, God, you know our address where we live. So, Lord, infuse your power, your enlightenment, your your spirit of of what we need to know today in our heart and in our church. In Jesus' name, amen. So James asked a very important and an extremely important question. As he started out in verse 13, as we read, about who is wise and who has understanding. And if I were to ask you that question this morning, uh, who would you put as a person that is wise in your life? Now, this is very important for us, important as a church, important as individual, to consider who is wise. Now, we might think of a person who is wise who's been well-educated. You know, they've got degrees and perhaps a high IQ. But according to James, knowledge doesn't necessarily equal wisdom. It sure is helpful, but it does not mean that's because you have been to 
college and have PhD or, or whatever does not mean that you are wise. You know, I have a smartphone. Now, I don't call it the wise phone because it just gives me information, but it can't help me make wise decisions. It can give me information. And so knowledge alone is not what means to be uh, wise. We might say a person that has wealth, well, you know, success in life is a business, that, that, but that doesn't mean you're wise. We might say someone who is popular or, or perhaps... Uh, you know, um, famous, or, you know, an athlete, or a singer, or a movie uh, actor or actresses. We might say, well, you know, they are wise. You know, look at the success that they've had in this world. You know, Jerry, Jeffrey Epstein, Epstein, he began his professional life as a math teacher at the prodigious Dalton School. Later, he switched careers to the financing world. He became rich and famous. He was first named basis to the heads of countries. He ran around with those who's who's of America. And Epstein died by taking his own life in prison as a convicted sex offender. And if we were to review his life, I don't think any of us would consider him as an example of wisdom, of being a wise person. And so the point is, is that, you know, when it comes to wisdom, you mean the world may have a different value system than what God puts. And James says that wealth and popularity and knowledge are, uh, are not necessarily the marks of a wise person. And so James gives us this question, who is a wise person? Now, when I put that post up there, Russ said, you know, the next slide's going to be his name, Russ. So, <laughs> so uh, Russ is a wise person, but uh, he's also a wise guy. <laughs> James asks the question in this chapter, and he says, in a context of who among the church family should be a teacher. Back to chapter 3, back to verse 1, this is where the conversation, this verse 13, the verses that we did, we're like actually entering into the middle of a conversation, in the middle of a thought. And James is asking this question. He's talking about not many of you should become teachers. And then he goes on and says, you know, now, now here, in verse, from verses 2 to 12, he says, now listen, he gives a powerful test to identify what is a, a qualified teacher. And the, the, the test is almost like a litmus test, is, is how does that person speak? What are the words that they're saying? What comes out of their mind? Does it speak life or death? How well they control what comes out of their mouth? James says our words identify what is inside. And so he gives us that test. But then he goes on, and, he's, and now he's going to say, no, that's, that's what that means, but here's something else. He says a good teacher not only controls the words they use, then he speaks, and James goes to this section about how they should live. Godly behavior, the behavior qualifies or disqualifies whether they should be a teacher. And so James is saying, a wise and understanding person makes for a great teacher. And here's why we must sit up and pay attention to this question. It's an extremely important question because whoever we consider wise, we set them up as an influence to us in our in our in our life as a guide for decisions. It's very important for us. We might ask the question, who do we want teaching our kids about life? Well, obviously, we want a, a wise person to do that. 
Well, what is a wise person? What is a wise teacher? Uh, you know, if, listen, if you're single and, and you want to marry somebody and you say, you know, I would like to marry a wise person, well, you need to sit up and take note. Well, what does it mean to marry a wise person? What does it mean to do that? What does it mean to hire a person that, that, you, that would be an addition to your company that would be a wise person? Listen, we get the opportunity, and I can't stress how, how important and how precious it is to be able to vote for leadership in our government. We get to choose. Now, if you're, if you're not registered, I, am, I, am, I beg you to, to go register. You know, cast your vote. If you're not registered, you need to get registered to, vo- to vote because your vote does make a difference. But as a Christian, we are to cast a vote, and we want to cast a wise vote. There are platforms that, 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 that do not line up with God's word, and there are platforms that do line up with God's word. And we're a vote according to platforms and not necessarily personality enough just because of of something how we like a a person based upon whether they look or don't look or how they talk or they don't. Platforms are huge in this election. Vote on issues that make for a healthy nation. Morality is huge. If we don't have morals as an individual or morals in our family, or morals in our church, or morals in our country, we will uh, suffer because of that. Marriage being defined by God and between a man and woman, we want that platform to be at the top in leadership, promote what God says is a godly marriage. A a platform that is pro-life on the issues of abortion, we want those young ones that are in the womb, that are even coming out at the verge of the day of coming out of the womb, that are being aborted. We want those precious babies to to, to survive and to be able to go on in life and and enjoy life like we do. We want the platform that produces, a, a platform that produces freedom, freedom of life, freedom of religion. We believe churches are essential to the health of any community. We believe churches are change agent for good. And we have a need of freedom, you know, Second Amendment, and and the freedom uh, is at stake in this election. And so we want to cast wise votes. We are being asked, what platform or what movement do you think is a wise platform that can make wise decision for. We are choosing the leadership of the direction of our country, and we want wise leaders. We must ask the question correctly, who is wise? And so James asked this question, and he, and he states by their words and then their behavior. So let's go back to verse 13, and let's break this few verses down. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his work in the meekness of wisdom. Now, three things that are, that are in here. And, and as, we, as we go through this, what James is doing, he's, he's identifying um, what real wisdom is. He's going to show us uh, the difference between uh, what true wisdom is and human wisdom. And then he shows how it operates. How does it, how does it uh, act out? And so in verse 13, that, that wisdom here is, it, it is, comes down to a lifestyle. 
doesn't have anything to do with intelligence. It has everything to do with your relationships, how you relate to people, and your character. How a person gets along with others is a key in, indicator of a wise person. As we go through this, we'll notice that these are relational points that James is saying. You can tell a wise person in the relation factor, how they relate to others. There are three ways to identify a wise person. You can first, you can hear a wise person by the words they choose. Number two, you can see a wise person by their good contact. You can watch and observe their conduct. And that wisdom is going to shine through because it is, it is a godly, it is, it is as we, we will read in a little bit, it's from above, it's something that, that is infused in us by the Holy Spirit, and it just comes out of us. It comes out of us because it is the wisdom of God. This wisdom is character that acts like God would act. It comes out because the Holy Spirit is working in us and through us. And this wisdom of God comes out. Number three, a wise person has good conduct displayed by a meek manner. How a person makes us feel in their presence is so important. It is in this word meekness is the bit in that horse that has been trained to move under that power and strength and this meekness is that, that we are in control of our feelings. We are in control of our words. We are in control of our actions. So that's power uh, that has is, that is been tempered and, and restrained. And so uh, this knowledge is given by a meek manner. You know, great knowledge brings great temptations of being prideful. I know it all, the more we know, the greater temptations to being proud or arrogant. And if we are smart, we we have to resist to become proud and to resist to become arrogant because they don't make good teachers. They don't make good people in our lives. And we don't want to be that person. We want to have an influence in in other people's life. Cowper said this. He said, knowledge is proud that he has learned so much. And wisdom is humble that he knows no more. You know, the wiser, the longer we live as a believer, the more we understand we do not know as much as we should know. And that causes us to be humble. We don't know. You know the more, more you know about God, the greater he becomes. You know, astronomers look out into the sky, and, and they just found this, this certain area that, like, that, they said, you know, we just discovered, and it has 10,000 galaxies in this one. The more you never know and discover about God and his handiwork, the less that you feel great that you do know. And so a wise person has a conduct that's always displayed by a meek manner. It's seen in our words, seen in our character, and it's felt through our humility. So James reveals two kinds of wisdom. He's going to come and talk about the earthly wisdom, and he's going to talk about the wisdom from above. And there is a big difference between the two. One has jealousy and bitterness, and one has, has the presence of every evil, and the other one has, the, has pure, peaceful, and good works. And so there's two extremes of sources of wisdom that we can operate through. So verse 13 
and 16, it says what earthly wisdom looks like. And then verse 17, 18, this wisdom that is from above. Let me read verses 13 and 16 again. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Verse 14, but if you have bitter and jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above. It is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And those are strong words. For where jealousy and self-ambition exist, there will be disordered in every vile practice. The inward focus of bitter jealousy, being envious and self-seeking, these are the opposite of, of the meekness of wisdom mentioned in James in verse 13. These words actually refer to someone who is critical, contentious, and fight-provoking manner. It's the opposite. And James is saying this earthly wisdom and this wisdom is from above. There is big contrast here. Let's stop and remember. James is writing to churches. He's writing these churches. He pens these pens, and the Holy Spirit impresses it. About talking about a teacher. What is a teacher? Who is a wise teacher? And he writes these things. You shouldn't be a teacher. You should be a teacher. These things are in line. And he talks about the, the, the leadership of these churches and, and the places of influence. And he, and he says, make sure you have wise teachers in place. Do not boast and lie against the truth. Anyone who shows bitter and envy and self-seeking should not deceive anyone, especially themselves, how wise they are. They show that a wisdom is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Their wisdom is more the characteristics of the world and the devil than of God. I mean, that's some strong words to label on the wisdom of the world, that, that behind the wisdom of the world there is this, this satanic influence that pushes and moves the world to dark places. And the wake of that is death and destruction. So James is trying to help the churches to stay away from that. You know, if, if, if I, as a person, or as a family, or we as a church, if we decide to, to live our life on conventional wisdom, which is common wisdom of the world, if, if our wisdom is, is always received from vertical for what is being taught through us through classes, and it's always just from mankind, there's going to be death and destruction. There's going to be issue, unhealthiness. Is that, that, and we're not. That we're to receive something that is out of this world, that something does not belong in this world. You remember now, as we're just saying about this broken generation, we live in a world that is broken. And we have broken wisdom that is given as being truthful and as being good. And God says, no, listen, wait. Make sure that your wisdom comes from above. And we see the craziness of our world. We say to ourselves, where is common sense? Actually, do we think that it's wise to defund the protectors of our community? Do you think it's wise to pass bills such as SB 145? Do you, do you think that that is good for our country, for our families, for our children? We say, no. What has happened? Because the brokenness of our society and our culture, and it's even as we see that, he says, how can these things go such a dark place? 
because there's a movement that is, that the Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against darkness, rulers of darkness. There's a movement that wants to take us away from the things of God. Listen, I've said this a number of times recently. The more the way that we move away from God, the more foolish we become, the more stupid we, we act. When we move away from God, when we push God out of our culture, out of our government, out of, out of uh, our schools, if we push that, we become foolish, and death and destruction is that path. This is an important question for us to answer who is wise. If we don't answer with the right way, we don't have the right answer, all kinds of disorder, problems, and chaos and confusion can happen in our homes. It can happen in a marriage. It can happen at work. It can happen if we lack the wisdom from above. God says, I want to give you something that will spare you the heartache, to spare you the brokenness, to spare you the destruction that is prevalent in our culture. I want to give you something. And it is a gift. It is a gift from above. So let's look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You see that this wisdom has these points, and, it, and there's 10 of them, and, and I want to go through these points that to reveal what true wisdom is. And as we go through this list, I want to remind you again that they have to do with our character and with our relationships. The relationship uh, connected, linked to relationship, how we relate to people. A wise person knows how to relate to people. This person is strong in their relationship with others. This makes perfect sense because, listen, remember, in the context, what are we talking? We're talking about who should be a teacher. You know what? A teacher needs to have some character, right? I mean, they said they, what they're telling you, and, and you want to know what the truth is, you know, you, if you have a teacher and, and they don't tell you the truth, don't tell you all the facts, and they twist and things, you don't follow that. You don't respect that teacher. And then a teacher who you can relate to, who has a sense that they love you, have a sense that there's goodness, and you can relate to it. I, I, I was thinking about some of my teachers growing up. Maybe you can think of, of a teacher that you had. One of my favorite teachers was Miss Moore. Miss Moore was, uh, was a tall teacher. I, I, she looked like she was seven foot, but I know she wasn't. I was in fourth grade when she was my teacher. And then she had this bun on top of her head, you know, like the ladies used to have. It swirled up there. It looked like a big nest. And, and, and she, of course, wore high heels. And, and so she just was bigger than life. And I enjoyed, uh, and I think most of our, uh, my fellow students enjoyed her class. She was very personal. And she could relate to us. And she would tell these stories, and she was big about traveling around in the, in the different parts of the world. And, and she would tell the experience every summer. She would take these trips, and she would call, uh, tell us about, uh, you know, the adventure that she had. And so, you know, 
you know that they care about you. And so you, you sit there and you listen that they have the best interests in you. What I'm saying is, as a good teacher or leader is good in relationship with others. The relations, listen, you want to be a good teacher? You, you want to be a good small group teacher? We need small group teachers. We need, we need teachers. We need teachers for the young people. We need teachers that work in children's ministry. You know what makes a good teacher? Relationship. Well, I don't know a lot. It doesn't matter. You, can, you, can, you don't have to know a lot to be wise, to be a loving, to be a kind, and to have good relationship with others. God will make up the difference in your life in uh, whatever that you may be lacking. So 10 points, quickly. I want to go to 10 points of a wise person. We won't spend a lot of time on each one, but I want to give you to him because James gives this to us, and he tells us this is what a wise person is. All right, so first, number one, the source of true wisdom is from God above. It doesn't come within. You don't go on a journey to self-discover what true wisdom is. It doesn't come from vertical resources. It comes from God and God alone. This is wisdom that is out of this world. This is special wisdom that he gives us to life in, and he is the source of this wisdom. Now, how do we get this wisdom? Well, we ask God to come into our life, and he comes, and the presence of the Holy Spirit comes, and he dwells within us. This is huge. This is a, this is a life-changing event. You're going one way, and now you're going this way. You thought this way, and now you think this way. You love this way, and now you really love this way. You had this wisdom of the earth, but now you have true wisdom from above. God living in us. And don't you remember as we looked in James chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, now listen, if you lack wisdom, you say, I don't know if I, I, have wisdom. I, I need wisdom. He said, wait, all you got to do is ask for wisdom and I will give it to you. I, I freely, he wants us to be wise people. He wants us to have the wisdom. How to be one of the most common prayers that we pray. God, give me wisdom. I mean, we ought to pray it uh, daily. God, give me wisdom. And it, is, it truly is one of my most common prayers. I ask God for wisdom and choices and decisions in my life. God, help me to have wisdom. Help me to make the right choices. Help me to, to, to deal with this situation. Help me to make sure that I'm on the right path, making those, wife, those, those wise lifestyle decisions. He just asks them. So the source is from above. Number two, true wisdom is pure. It's uncorrupted. It's authentic. I like it when it says in verse John 3, 3, and it talks about Jesus Christ and his coming back, and he says... All who have this eager expectation of Jesus Christ will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. That Christ is coming back, and we do sense the end time. I don't know what that might be, but you sense the, the unraveling of the world, and we think that this is part of what, G, what uh, John was writing in Revelation, that maybe this is the time that we are to be pure. Why? Because he's coming back, just as he is pure refers to the character of Jesus Christ. A wise person's not going to be lying, cheating, defrauding another person. They won't deceive or manipulate people for self-gain. If we're going to be wise, we'll be pure and honest, a person of integrity. 
know, there are two books in the Bible that we consider um, books of wisdom, Proverbs in the Old Testament and the book of James in the New Testament, that we walk in integrity, that we don't walk, you know, uh, different than how we really are. Integrity that gives us confidence and so also gives security in our relationships. It's pure. And this wisdom also is peaceable. It's peaceable. You want peace in your life? You feel like yeah, you walk around and maybe in a storm? Have the wisdom of God. God will give you, and product of the wisdom of God is that peace will be there in the midst of a storm. Peace will be there. Wise people are peace-loving. They're peacemakers. They're not peacekeepers. Peacekeepers are different than peacemakers. Peacekeepers are where, you know, you want to have keep the peace, you know, and you've got to do everything to try to keep peace. And when you take your kids to the store and they say, I want this candy, and then they throw a fit, and to keep the peace so that you can just be civil to go out of the store, you might give in to their wish. But that's not really peacemaking. That's just peacekeeping. So you take your child home, and then you give them the board of instruction or whatever it might be that will help them to be peaceful when they go the next time to the store. It's a big difference between keeping peace and making peace. A wise person is a peaceable person. Doesn't is an argumentative, always arguing, always rubbing people wrong like sandpaper. That's not what God said. True wisdom provides this peace in our hearts, in our lives. Heard about a, a guy who was so argumentative, he, he would only eat food that disagreed with him. <laughs> if you're smart, you don't antagonize people's anger. You know, I, I like to kid a lot if you get to really know me, and sometimes I, I know I antagonize my wife through my kidding and all that. And, She's nodding her head. It's not good for me to do that. I have to be careful of that. A wise thing is not to antagonize people. Anybody can start arguments. The wise thing is to stay away from them. There are a couple things I want to give you that, and this point is, is that to, to help us. When we, that, that can help us stay away from arguments in our life. So if you want to, you want to, uh, if you're wise, you'll avoid these things. First of all, it's comparing. When you have people and you say, "Well, you're you're just like," or "Why can't you be like?" or "When I was your age," or "You're asking, you know, for for whatever," and you're comparing people. Paul says in Second Corinthians two ten verse twelve says it's unwise to compare. It's unwise, you know. You want to make somebody mad, you start comparing them. If I want to make my wife mad, I'll start comparing her to my mother, which I did. And I confess it was wrong. You know, compare. You know, uh, compare whatever to someone else. Why can't you be like son? Why can't you be like your older brother or your old sister? Why can't you be like the neighbors? Kids. That just develops tension in that relationship. Condemning. We can say, it's your fault. 
You should be ashamed of yourself. You know, laying the guilt, you, you'll never amount to something. You ought to do that. You should, you shouldn't. Condemning, condemnation. Someone said this, you can bury a marriage with a lot of little digs. We hurt relationships, those little digs. And I confess that this speaks to me in my relationship with my wife as well, that I have to watch that. I can easily do those little things that cause uh, those little digs. A wise person loves peace and makes peace, and peace follows the wake of true wisdom. Number four, true wisdom is gentle. It's always consider of others. You want to be wise? You consider others. Mindful of the feelings of others. It's wrong for us to override or overrun uh, other people's feelings. It's a common mistake If I don't feel the way you feel, then your feelings must be invalid, illogical, or irrational, or even silly. Feelings are real, folks. And I may not feel the same way you do, and you may not feel the same way as I do, but that's okay. Those are real. And and James is saying wise people are considerate. They don't minimize other people's feelings. If I'm wise, I will not minimize your feelings. You know, I don't have to accept them, but I can try to understand them. Kind words bring life, but cruel words crush your spirit, Proverbs 15, 4. Often we can feel belittle. We can put people down. We can play the psychologist. I know why you feel that. We can be condescending toward people. James says, if I'm in a wiser relationship, I will not minimize your feelings. I'll be considerate. I'll be gentle. I'll be kind. We will consider the way others feel because it's real to them. And our kindness and our gentleness accepts how they feel. Number five, true wisdom is open to reason. Willing to listen and learn. A wise person can learn from anybody. Not defensive, he's open to reason, he's not stubborn, he's willing to listen and learn. The Living Bible says it allows discussion, it is easy to be entreated. We're to be a reasonable person. We're to reason with our kids and reason with others in our relationships. A wise person does not antagonize our anger or minimize our feeling, does not criticize suggestions. It doesn't, it, we're not to be defensive. We're to be open to reason. It's a wise person in our relationship. Number six, true wisdom is full of mercy. This wisdom knows that the same measure of mercy we grant to others is the same mercy the same measure God will give with us. It's full of mercy. I don't give you what you deserve. Just like God doesn't do us, he's so merciful to us. Isn't that true? You think back this week, how many times that we have had to go to the mercy of God and, and lie and, and, and stand on the mercy of God. And God does that over and over. His mercy is renewed each and every day. We praise God that he doesn't skip one day. <laughs> Every day his mercy is there because we need it. If I'm wise, I won't emphasize 
your mistakes and you won't emphasize my mistakes. For wise, when somebody stumbles, we won't judge them, we'll encourage them, we won't pick apart and we won't expose or we won't emphasize, we'll elevate mistakes and things and wrong choices that we have done in our life because we are merciful. Our true wisdom is merciful to others. Gives us passes for the wrong decisions we make in life. Number seven, truism is full of good fruit. Good fruit. There's good actions. It's not, the benef- it's not the benefit of self, but the benefit of others. That our life has one good action and fruit, uh, one good fruit after another. Number eight, true wisdom is impartial. It, it doesn't play favorites. There's no teacher's pet in the class of a wise teacher. There's no favorites in a group. They're late in a friendship. There's, there's an equal, there's an impartiality. There's no prejudice or racism. There's, there's none of that that happens. And true wisdom is that. That's the way Christ is, and that's the way we are. And I believe this is the way our church is operating. We can have anybody come through those doors, and we will love them if they will let us. We will try to love them just like God loves us. And true wisdom is sincere without hypocrisy. Marks of a wise person is they don't try to hide or disguise their own weaknesses. <laughs> you know, today, you know, with this mask thing, you know, we can go into banks with masks, you know, we can go grocery store, and, you know, and somebody the other day was talking about how that they went into a place of business, so they had a hat on, had sunglasses on a mask. You could not recognize that person at all, who that person is. James is saying, listen, we're going to operate in true wisdom produces a life that is real. We don't have an act. You know, think, you think you say, well, if you're perfect and you think you're perfect and you try to come and be part of this group, I'm telling you, you're not going to fit in because none of us are perfect. We're imperfect. We have real sins. We have real hang-ups. We have real faults. We have emotional needs. We have family problems. We have those. We have health issues. We have those things. Real wise people are honest and open. We're not actors. We don't come in and play the part of the church today, and then we're different as we leave here or different on Monday. We're not that way. This is true wisdom. It isn't about pretending. It isn't trying to show that a perfection, but it's being real, being authentic. True wisdom is sincere without hypocrisy. And number 10, true wisdom reaps a harvest of righteousness. It is sown in peace by those who make peace. In the wake of true wisdom, you follow that family, you follow that leader, You follow that Christian and you see in the wake of their life of the righteousness that comes out through their influence and through their lives. This is what James is finishing up here. It's a teacher that teaches and it's a wise teacher, that class, those influences, and the people are going to have peace sown in them and they will make peace. How do you rate on the wisdom test? True wisdom. Do you compromise your integrity? 
to use people to manipulate them or use them for the things you want? Do you tend to antagonize others saying things that tick people off? You know, if you say it, and it will press their hot button, and you know it, but you say it anyway, yeah, that's dumb. It's not being wise. If I'm wise, I'll not antagonize your anger. If I'm wise, I'll not minimize your feelings. Feelings are neither right nor wrong. They're just feelings. And when my wife has a feeling, it's valid. Whether it's logical, whether it makes sense, the fact that she feels it. If I'm wise, I'm going to minimize. I'm not going to minimize that. If I'm wise, I'm not going to criticize suggestions Our husband makes suggestions to us or to our wives. I'm not going to criticize us. If I'm wise, I will not emphasize your mistakes. I don't rub it in or rub it out. If I'm wise, I don't try to disguise my feelings. I won't do these things because I have the wisdom that's pure from God. It's acting like God. So how do we become one of these wise people in a relationship? So that piece that everybody is talking about. It's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge comes from education. Wisdom comes from God. To get knowledge, you look around. To get wisdom, you look up. Knowledge comes from reason. Wisdom comes from revelation. Knowledge is something you learn. Wisdom, my friend, is a gift to us from God. It openly wants to give us all wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, James 1.5. He gives it generously, openly. He loves to give gifts. He loves to give us things that help us and make us better and help others better. On the important note in Colossians 2.3, Paul writes, the secret is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all God's treasures of wisdom. It's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. We invite him into our life. All we're inviting, we're inviting his character, his wisdom into us. That we love people like he loves people. I'd like for us to bow our heads in prayer. I want to ask us this question. Where do you find that you need wisdom in your life? This moment, let's receive God's invitation and let's pray in our hearts. A simple prayer. Not to say it out loud, but just pray something. God, I need help in this area. And I believe that there's no one in here who can say that I've arrived, that truly wise. Perhaps God has convicted you in an area as we've been talking. The Holy Spirit has come along and tapped you on the shoulder and says, listen, this is an area that that I want to come and help you with this. Let's be open to that. Heavenly Father, I admit that I need help with wisdom in my relationship with others, in my character, 
Please give me your wisdom, a wisdom that is a gift from above. Father, I, I ask this in faith. As best as I know how, trusting that you're going to provide this gift of wisdom that's, as truly you are the source of this wisdom. I need this. Father, help me be pure, authentic, uncorrupted, honest in all my dealings with others. Father, I, I need your help in keeping me pure in an impure world. That I want to be more of the light than of darkness. I need to know, Father, how not to antagonize others. That I stop rubbing people wrong. That I hurt and hinder them. And Father, may it start with my family, my personal relationship. Help me to be a peacemaker, not, not an instigator of trouble, a troublemaker. Help me to be wise, not to overrun people and their feelings. That I will respect how people feel, God, as you do that to me. And I won't put down the way they feel even if, they don't under, if I don't understand them. Father, help me to not be defensive nor critical in other people's suggestions. I have this heart that's so open and willing to learn from others that I need to hear what others have to say. And Lord, help me to act towards others as you act towards me. That you are merciful to me. Help me not to emphasize people's weaknesses and mistakes. But I give tender mercy and great grace towards people who fail. God, like you do with me. God, I need help being totally honest with who I am, to be real, not be afraid to share my weaknesses. And I will, by faith, trust that good will come out of being real and vulnerable in my weaknesses. God, I thank you that you accept me as a sinner in all my faults, your love and forgiveness covers me through Jesus Christ on the sacrifice of the cross. God, I invite you, who you are, into my heart, to my life, that you will come out in many different ways as wisdom from above. And we say this in the wisdom, in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We can be a help to you in any way in your journey with the Lord. Please let us know.
We have connection cards or you can come up and talk to us. We want to help you, whatever that might look like. Now, before we dismiss, if you'd like to participate in communion, we invite all those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to just come out into the middle aisle, come to the sides over here and receive a cup and go back to your table. Now, these are special cups. I'll give you some special instructions before we partake of the elements. So would you just come in to the aisle, come down this way, and then take each cup and then go back to your aisle, and we'll give you some special instructions how to open them. When you think about communion, communion is not about gaining favor with God or to be in a place that you're going to receive, you know, His grace or earn His grace. It's not like a ladder rung, you know, you, okay, this is one more step that you might take so that you can be in a position to receive God's favor so you can go to heaven. Uh, no, the communion actually looks back to what Christ has already done. And it gives value and appreciation. And with that, it helps us in our life. It helps us not to lose touch of the reality and the tenderness of what has happened 2,000 years ago, what Christ has done for us in our life. And it's so close to stay close to that. That's our home base, so to speak. When we get away from that, we forget what Christ has done for us. That's when we get into trouble. We forget how good he is to us and what he's done so much for us. And so it's good for us to go back to that. You know, the wisdom of the world would, would not have done what Christ has done. You know, the, I think the apostles, you know, they, they kept trying to get Jesus off the, off the track. Oh, God, you know, the kingdom, you know, here, and you do this. And Jesus stayed focused. He was from above and he had wisdom from above. And I'm so thankful that he stayed focused because, because of that, we now can observe communion. We, we know we have a hope that is in Jesus Christ because of that wisdom that he didn't follow of the world. It was from above. And so this morning, we want to take that. And the first thing I want you to do is is on the top, there's a little plastic piece. 
There's, a, there's two layers. One opens up the cup, and then the first layer opens up the bread, the cracker, and then you take that in your hand. And so we think about the bread as the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the broken body of, of his suffering for us. And so we thank God for that, his brokenness body. Father, thank you for the suffering. Every moment, every second of pain, you were willing to do that for us. God, I can't think of anyone else that would ever do, experience what you experience for our benefit. We greatly thank you for that. Appreciate willingness to be that mutilated sacrifice for our sins. In Jesus' name, let's take the bread. All right, if you'll just take that top layer off. And we have the juice, which represents the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ covers our sins. Let's think about that. You know that his blood is eternal. And listen, my friend, because it's eternal blood, it has, is an eternal covering for all our sins for eternity. It's on that mercy seat, it's covered. All the things that we've broken, God's law, it's covered by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for willing to give your son to shed his blood for us. And Jesus Christ willing to be the sacrifice that diverts the wrath of God from our sin to Jesus. And that his blood covers all our wrongdoing. And we stand before a holy God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ through the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you and are grateful for that, eternally grateful for that, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the cup. All right, let's stand and let's close the service out with one more song as the worship comes, and let's just sing this as a time of worshiping all that we've heard and felt and experienced this morning. Let it be just that crescendo of our thoughts and our feelings today towards God. A beautiful old hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.
with God this week. Go love some people. Be wise in how you act, behave, talk, etc. I will be doing the same. <laughs> Have a good week.